Welcome to the Jigsaw. All of my ladies and gentlemen, countrymen and city dwellers, saints and ain'ts, we are back <laughs> for episode two of the Jigsaw. And what a moment it has been between our premiere episode last Thursday up until today. Um, whenever you're listening to this, it has just been a complete crap fest. And I just want to welcome y'all to the show. I think we're probably all in a very similar place. You know what the Jigsaw is about. For those of you who are new, welcome. We're only on episode two, so you have an opportunity to catch up. But welcome to the Jigsaw, where we discuss the real-life challenge of navigating the craziest puzzle, and it is proving to be a crazy puzzle, the craziest puzzle ever to be created, and that is the jigsaw of life. We talk about the perils, the praises, the productivity, and the pump and circumstances of navigating life as a black individual in America, and boy, is it tiring and exhausting, and I know that I am emotionally expended, and I'm doing my best. I am doing my absolute best, and I think today platforms like this are going to give us an opportunity to discuss how we feel, to process it, and for us to be fair with our emotions because we have the right to feel whatever we are feeling about everything that is going on. Um, and if you hear some passion and tension in my voice, it's because I just, I've, I've just processed a lot and I've had a lot of conversations and I've talked to a lot of my black friends and my, my non-black friends and just, it's just been a journey <laughs> for sure. Shout out to 40 year old virgin for that kind of sound bite. but no, seriously. Um, no, it's been a lot, but one thing that gave me great joy before we dive into the depths of today's episode is the versus battle that we had last Sunday with Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond. Um, anybody who knows me knows that Kirk Franklin is by far one of my favorite, um, artists of all time despite the genre. And they just gave us some necessary, I think, levels of encouragement, whether you are a Kirk fan or Fred fan or not. I just think hearing the classics from these two musical giants, these icons in their own right, was just the kind of reset that we needed. And I think more specifically, the black community and those who are more familiar with gospel music really appreciated it. And, um, you know, Kurt Franklin just has a myriad of songs that speaks to culture and time and um, circumstances. And I'm a fan. So, you know, just, you know, I just want to be happy. Boom, boom, boom. But if I keep on doing the things, hey, they keep on bringing me pain. There's no one else I can blame if I'm not happy. Boom, boom, boom. Wasted time, but now I can see the biggest enemy. It was me. So I'm not happy. Boom, boom. Cry yourself to sleep. Boom. Shout and raise your hands. Uh, it won't change a thing, child, until you understand. Sing it with me, y'all. If you're tired of being the same if you're tired of things not changing it's time for you to get out the way boom 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 don't get stuck in how you feel say jesus take the wheel he knows the road that you need to take boom 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 if you want to be happy boom boom i ain't gonna keep singing <laughs> but no it is songs like that that uplift me and it reminds me that um as much as stuff is not in our own control and that we can't really um, have ultimate control over a lot of things that happen to us and for us. What we can control is how we internalize it and how we process it through and choose happiness and choose joy. So um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's my part of that. Let's go straight into the show. Um, welcome y'all. Hope y'all are doing okay. Uh, let's go straight into the show into our first segment, the Bless Up Report. Well, welcome to another Bless Up Report. Today on the list is a wonderful woman by the name of Mrs. Ella Jones, Pastor <laughs> Ella Jones. Um, this comes from BecauseOfThemWeCan.com, and she was 
recently elected as the first black mayor of Ferguson, Missouri. She won that vote by 54%. And if you know anything about Ferguson, you know that almost six years ago, that was the epicenter of very similar movements and protests that we're seeing right now after the, the murder of young teenager Mike Brown. Um, but Ella Jones is the pastor of a local AME church there, and she has stated that she's committed to the work of transforming her city, and she understands that the buck is kind of on her because people are going to expect more out of her just because she's a woman, um, and unfortunately, that is true. There's going to be immense amount of pressure, but we do believe that you can do it, sis. We are rooting for you, and we are still excited and in some ways disappointed that, are, that there are so many firsts still happening in 2020, but never Nevertheless, you persisted and we are grateful that you are the first, not only um, black mayor of Ferguson, but black woman mayor of Ferguson, Missouri. And we believe that you're going to do amazing things. So keep grinding and keep doing your thing, sis. All right. So let's go into the billboard. That is, this is our segment where we talk about pop culture and things that are happening in the world. And I tried to find some stuff that was a little uplifting, but we're going to do what we can. Um the NBA is preparing to come back. So all of my sports fans and basketball fans, I'm sure that you all are excited about that. According to ESPN.com, um, the, ES- the NBA is going to send 22 teams to Orlando at Disney's ESPN um, Center for Sports. And there are going to be 13 teams from the West, nine teams from the East. And there are going to be about eight regular games in that season. Then they're going to go into the playoffs. And this can begin as early as July 31st. But all of this is subject to a Board of Governors call, which is scheduled for today, Thursday. Um, And if approved, which a lot of people are thinking it will be approved, the season could last up until about October 12th. in a typical game seven final scenario. So there could be some normal, some sense of normalcy coming back to television and sports world. Um, while the NBA will technically be wrapping up or would have have wrapped up by now. We've missed so much of that season. So them coming back is something that people can look forward to. Um, and the NBA, just in light of what's going on, has always been somewhat, now I won't say totally, but somewhat committed to the cause of social justice, um, even just how they treat their players and their ability to express themselves on the court and off of the court. So I am interested to see how this new format in the NBA will look and will work. Um, Snapchat did something amazing, and they said that they're going to stop promoting content from Donald Trump's account. If you remember last week, we talked about how he remixed T.I.'s song, um, no fan promotion here, <laughs> but they remixed T.I.'s song. He remixed T.I.'s song to kind of talk against Joe Biden and kind of did some wordplay there. But Snapchat has decided to no longer promote his account because they said, and I quote, that they will not amplify voices that incite violence and rioting. And if you know anything about our current president, Mr. 45, Agent Orange himself, um, then you know that that is something that he does in the rhetoric that he displays. And I I am just glad that uh, we have a platform, a major platform that is deciding to not necessarily take away what would be a First Amendment right. Let's let's go there, but definitely not promoting and spreading um, this level of violence that he's you know conjures up in a cohort of people. You know, say what you want about the president right now; he does have a level of influence, specifically with other white supremacists like himself, and the fact that his voice will be minimized for being spread across that platform is a win, in my opinion. Um, last thing on the billboard that we're going to cover before we go into today's conversation, because I'm really ready to have this conversation, is that the four cops that were um, collectively responsible for the murder of George Floyd um, have been arrested with Derek um, Chauvin's charges being upgraded from third degree murder to second degree murder. Um, this is a win for us as we see progress that is coming out. So all of those gentlemen have been arrested. Um, Derek's charges have been upgraded. So we're going to see how justice prevails. And I just want to give a side eye to Amy Klobuchar. Like you are not in the clear here. You were, um, you are a senator in Minnesota. And from what we understand that Derek had plenty of, um, 
what is the word that I'm looking for? Complaints against him concerning his duties as a police officer. And many of them went unchecked. And you had the ability um, in your seat to make sure that he was held responsible and he was held accountable for his actions. And you chose not to prosecute him. So it does not go unnoticed that because you're being vetted for a VP seat, that you are all of a sudden doing what you think is best for justice, especially since Mr. Joe Biden is in some hot water himself with the black community. So, Amy, you get a real hard side eye right now from me and a lot of people from the black community. But we're not even going to we're not even going to go there right now. I am really ready to have this amazing conversation with an individual that I think you're going to fall in love with because she's just she's dope. She's a great person. And when I say you're going to fall in love with her, she just brings really great conversation. So I think you're going to love the conversation that we're going to have. Come on, y'all. Pull up a seat and let's join me in the virtual living room. What's going on, family? I want to welcome you all to my virtual living room again. Today, I have a super, super, super special guest, and I'm excited. Um, she's a theologian in her own right, but I'm going to allow her <laughs> to introduce herself. Um, I want to let you guys know that this conversation is rated explicit. Um, you may be triggered. I understand everything that is going on. So if you need to take a break from all of the craziness that is in our world, Feel free to fast forward. Feel free to press pause and come back next week. But if you're ready and you want to have this conversation, um, this is the time. I want to welcome to my couch in the virtual living room, Miss Yolanda Johnson. Um, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hey, 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 hey everybody. Uh, introduce yourself. Tell the people who you are. What's up, everybody? I'm Yolanda Johnson. I am the CEO and founder of the 2080 Experience, which is an HR consulting firm. And I am a natural born disruptor. So I'm excited about this conversation. <laughs> she is. She's done this entire series on Facebook Live that I've had the privilege um, of tuning in for some of them. And she has evoked some um, emotions, I'll say that, from um, some of our skin folk, kin folk, and other folk. Um, so we're just going to jump in. I think everyone is well aware um, of the state that we're in as a nation. And it's it's sad. It's disappointing. It is numbing. It is it's so many things. And I think black people in general are just exhausted. I think we're tired. I think we what we're seeing is a bubbling up and finally, finally reaching a, a boiling point, specifically in the midst of a pandemic, risking our health um, to make sure that things, tides change and that we see some type of justice and advocacy um, happen that benefits us. And if you're unfamiliar, we all know about the tragic killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was straight up murder, y'all. Um, there's no way around that level of detail. Um, and I and that has really prompted everyone to just go out and push and protest. And we've seen looting, we've seen rioting. Whether you agree with that behavior or not, I understand um that level of frustration that people have. So, Yolanda, I just want to jump dead into the conversation. Um, and we know that George Floyd is not new. We know that this what happened to him is not brand new. But in your opinion, what makes this situation different this time? I think, first of all, I love how you said how you understand different points of views. I think one that's important um, so that we don't become polarized around what way we should be approaching this. But I think what makes this specifically different is that we now have a generation. Um, it's a generational championing of seeing the systematic destruction of systematic racism. And I think yeah. with George Floyd, there was no gray this time. With the other killings, while it was very apparent to Black America that this is just a continuation of injustices that we've seen, with George Floyd, people were already at a psychological breakdown because of COVID-19. And so mm -hmm. to see this blatantly happen on the heels of having states barely open up, it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And so people are at a point where they're like, you know what, we're not going to deal with systemic racism on top of a global pandemic. And I think right. that is what pushed it over the edge. I absolutely agree. Like I saw several different angles 
from the murder. And again, at first, it like it was it was crystal clear from the very first video that came yeah. out. But to see the different street cameras and the, the, the angle from the store that showed him complying right. with the arrest, and then from the back to see the other three officers, and then Officer Tao calling your name, who was pretty much keeping us from seeing those three officers yeah. in the back. And for me, it's always troubling when the media seeks to bring out these very negative past narratives yeah. of, of the slain. And regardless of their history, like he did not deserve to die. You know, I, and, and, and I can speak to that for a moment. Like why, why does the media have to push that, like bring all of that up to kind of vindicate white people and police officers. I think what's really weird and what needs to be addressed is there is a secret handshake between three entities, the police department, mm-hmm. the criminal justice system with lawyers and, you know, judiciaries, and then also the media. And I think that as always the way that that triad works together is that Black and brown people are considered guilty. And so in order to make us seem less human, they try to bring out these vilified narratives about anyone. And the media has to take ownership just as much as the cops do because they always put out this false narrative about the victim to somehow justify the egregious actions that the police take and that, uh, you know, the courts make when they try and sentence people that do these types of acts. And I love the fact that you talked about this kind of secret handshake, this kind of backroom conversation that goes on between all of these really powerful entities. And it it really makes me think about the fact that the United States has never really has never really reconciled their sins against black folk. Yeah. They kind of just brought us over here. They, they they enslaved us. And then once out of slavery, we were in another form of slavery with Jim Crow. And there has just been countless of policies and systematic things that have happened that have kept us disenfranchised. How do you think that that lack of reconciliation has added to this generation's anger? I think <laughs> let's step back <laughs> from race for okay. a moment. And let's just do a simple math problem. Yeah. We know that the best way for you to make money is through compound interest. And so these secret handshakes and America not dealing with its original sin, it has passed it down to generation to generation and it's a compounding problem. And so what's happened with this particular instance is that you've got individuals that are feeling the trauma of 400 years compressed into one generation. And we've never rectified that. We've put band-aids on it. So yeah. even with the, the killing of Dr. Martin Luther King, the only reason why they passed the 1968 Civil Rights Act was to shut up the rioters six days after his death mm-hmm. because they knew that the whole country was going to burn down. So America has always done things to pacify Uh, people of color, but not really deal with the hard issue that it has sin that has to be atoned for. And it's going to take more than just, you know, little kumbaya moments for TV (laughs) recognition. (laughs) Like that's not going to work. It's a dirty slip and people's uh, dirty slips in their hearts. And then America's dirty slip is showing. And it's time to go to the laundromat. Like we've got to clean it up for real and not just, you know, Put Febreze on it and say, well, we'll keep throwing it on and it'll look cute. Listen, because Febreze don't clean a thing. Don't clean it. It just makes the musty less musty. Stanky. It's like putting that nasty brute cologne. Listen. <laughs> on top of your nasty body. That's the state of America. And people are like, no, we either going to clean it up or we're not. Absolutely. My mom used to tell me, don't you put cologne on no funky body. If you ain't washed, you still nasty. Go in there and take a shower. (laughs) Some water. (laughs) Listen, all your dip, all both of your hips in there. But um, but no, I think that really speaks to especially a president who's instituting, well, whatever he is, um, instituting martial law, um, who has this narrative clearly divisive right so so we saw maybe a month ago when white folk couldn't get their haircuts and couldn't go to the gyms they were protesting with rifles in you know politician spaces on on city hall and state capitol steps like very angry very violent and then 
beyond the looting that we see, we see peaceful protest where this same president was saying on one end to those people, those white people protesting, they're very fine people. You know, governors give in. Right. And then on the flip side, he was like, oh, no, these thugs, these people, governors, you're weak. Um, let's really talk. Let's, if we're going to dig into America's sin, let's really talk through how our executive cabinet is really inciting more anger amongst those who are protesting and, and rioting right now. Yeah. <laughs> 45, a.k.a. Donald Trump, a.k.a. Agent Orange, is <laughs> a psycho. And I said that. Um, just meet me outside if you don't like it. The man <laughs> is crazy. Um, but even in his craziness, he is a face for a deeper system, to your point. And I think if we go all the way back to the election of President Obama, there is a very real force that was mad that their country, quote unquote, is being taken away from them. And yes. I think that part of the tactic is not just Donald Trump. It's the House of Representatives with the Tea Party. It is the Senate. Mitch McConnell is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous than Donald Trump because of his ability to pass or not pass laws. Mitch McConnell, even before we got the thugs, he said, I don't understand why black America is not okay. We're done with racism. We elected Barack Obama. Like, I remember that statement. Yeah. Like something is mentally wrong with our leaders at all levels. And so I think what you see with Donald Trump is overt racism. And then you've mm -hmm. got people like Mitch McConnell and you've got others that have that subtle racism. And part of our issue is, is that we're fighting both of those things at the same time. And so Donald Trump making comments like they're very fine people, he continues to placate into the same era of Jim Crow, where it's like folks on one hand are great. I want you to keep them separate, even though they're doing the same behavior, but I'm going to treat them in two different ways. And again, it comes back to this narrative of white versus black, rich versus poor. Yeah. And it's it's really sick and it's disheartening because to your point, you know, not only did we have that with people fighting for their rights with COVID-19, we had last year in Richmond, Virginia, I used to live in that area. You had people with guns going and protesting at the state house against the governor at that time. And they had a whole militia out there and there was no conversation in addition to what happened in Charlottesville. So it's again, it's this double entendre of standards that yeah. what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. And people are fed up with that. Quite frankly, I'm freaking fed up with it. Enough is enough. Yeah. And I think what what compounds all of that is that we're black folk are always pushed to we we always have to be the forgiving one and we're the ones that have to forget like slavery was so long ago let it go but we're like we don't you don't want us to like when it comes to 9 11 it's never forget never forget when it's the holocaust it's never forget um and all of these different and, and not saying that any of those things were bad i mean were, were, were good or justified but why are we always pushed to be so forgiving to be we are the ones that almost have to repent for the sins that were, you know, made against us. And I think that that really, for me, it makes me even more angry because you want to erase it and then act like not like this isn't like you said before, this isn't a continual buildup of a like very historic system that was not meant or built for us at all. And like that part, like even 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 to my Jewish brothers and sisters, the Holocaust was terrible. But at no point does in like in Europe do many Jewish people have to go to a hospital named after Adolf Hitler. Right here in Atlanta, Grady Hospital is named after one of the most racist men in America. And it is like predominantly black people who have to go there and be treated. We are constantly reminded like Ivan Allen. 
the former mayor of Atlanta, like was one of the great, he literally built a wall in the city to prevent African-Americans from buying homes in a predominantly white neighborhood. And we have to, and that, and here's the very ironic part about Ivan Island Boulevard. It takes us directly to the center of <laughs> human and civil rights. So we are constantly reminded of our oppression and our sins. And when people ask, like, even though I don't condone necessarily the behavior of looting and tearing up stuff, but like there are a, a cohort of individuals who are so frustrated that this is the only language that they have right now to express how they feel. Let's literally go into some conversations about that. Like, what is the greater conversations around the looting and the violence? So let me just put this out here. Man, uh, don't send this to my employer. But <laughs> while I don't encourage you to tear our own stuff up, I mm -hmm. think you have a great point, Josh, with regards to we are the only people that are constantly reminded of our oppression, not just in yes. our systems, but with the monuments, with the way that our housing is set up, the way that our food supply is set up in our grocery stores. And I think that individuals that are quick to make judgments about individuals that are looting do not understand that looting and rioting is the voice of the voiceless. And it is a way to say, you are going to hear me one mm -hmm. way or the other. And I, to your point, I think that... <laughs> I think that people are trying to make a statement in a way that they feel like they've not been able to make a statement yet, which is like, you know what? You have destroyed my life. So let me do as much as possible to destroy your life, to disrupt your life. And maybe that will get your attention. It's so crazy because a lot of um, cities have been showing where uh, retail places have been destroyed. But one mm -hmm. of the things I will say I appreciate, which is why I said don't share this, when we had a, a rally here in Birmingham, Alabama, they ain't tear the stores up. They went right over to Lynn Park where there were Confederate monuments and they tore them jokers down. And so <laughs> I, I, I think those acts, while violent, they resonate with me because, again, it's saying we're not going to continue to have this system throw in our face the mm -hmm. fact that you do what you want to do. Your systems are set up the way that they're set up. And so, you know, if you're going to tear something up, I mean, I'm all for tearing down racist monuments and constructs if you got to tear something up. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's that, that's that's it right there. So like so we've we've seen it happen in Minneapolis and we saw kind of this domino and ripple effect in Atlanta and Detroit um, that were scenes in Chicago, New York, so on and so forth. Why do you think the anger, I guess, is so prevalent in a city like Atlanta, right, where George Floyd didn't actually die? I think what you're seeing like in Atlanta and in Chicago and in Philadelphia, shout out to Philly where I'm from, and in D.C. is those places have been safe harbors and metropolises for blacks of all walks of life. So those are some of the few cities, especially Atlanta, where you can see the black experience through various lens, lenses. And you've also got not just the impoverished, but you've also got the rich, fabulous and famous or trying to be famous. And so I think the reason why it's so tangible is because especially in Atlanta, people are realizing it doesn't matter that I've got a lot of money. It doesn't matter that I've got fame. I'm just as vulnerable and susceptible to this nonsense as my brother that lives out in section eight housing. And so mm -hmm. I think they're using these cities, even though it's not Minneapolis, to prove a point to say, if my brother is hurting in Minneapolis, that's the same hurt that I'm feeling here in Atlanta or I'm feeling in Chicago or in Philly. Right. And, you know, and, and both of us are church babies. Mm -hmm. We church babies. And I think one of the there are two issues that are always very, very loud in these situations. Um, and to your point about making it tangible, what I can really literally touch is the silence of white evangelicals or just even those who not even evangelicals, but just those white Christian leaders who maximize our platforms for notoriety and fame. And then what I call our skin folk, because they ain't all kin folk who are very quiet and passive 
about it. We need more than the Reggie Sharps and, you know, everybody, like the people who preach to Sota, um, Otis Moss III, all of those. And we need more than those individuals. What message should our religious leaders, I mean, because think about the civil rights movement, right? These were preachers. All of them. These were preachers. You know what I'm saying? So, like, where did the book fall? Because because it's so tangible and in every city. Like, why aren't we seeing some of our preachers beyond the Jamals, right, on the front line? Where are they? So, shout out to um, all the preachers that are talking. But this is why you're rating this explicit. Because I'm probably going to get kicked out of the black church by the time this is over. We'll be on the street together. Okay. Yeah. So... We have a generation of self-seeking, rejected individuals that have chosen the pulpit because that was the only way that they can get popularity because don't nobody want them in real life. And so the difference, (laughs) I mean, it is what it is. I mean. So the difference between the 60s and its leaders and the ones that we have now, those individuals had a true identity of self. And they yeah. knew that there was a marriage between the pulpit and the politics and social activism. The people that we have today, unfortunately, are in the Christian preaching business and they're not really called to that office. And I'm sorry, just because you can go to seminary, it does not make you um, someone that is really called to that office. And so what I'm you done. have is people that are prostitutes. And they have found that the best way to pimp themselves is through, you know, their church. And so all they do is go out and make money. So when it comes to these type of issues, they don't know how to answer it because this really never was something that they thought they would have to address. They just thought it was about looking good, wearing my latest pair of Jordans or wearing my latest pair of Stacey Adams. And they're not really called. And the same people that are not answering social justice check my track record, are the same people that do no social activism or community service in the areas in which they are. The people that I'm finding are silent, are not just silent when it comes to these issues for black lives and bodies being killed by police, but they're silent when it comes to poverty in their community, silent about educational um, issues and literacy. They're silent about everything other than come to my conference and pay X, Y, Z amount of money and I want to look like a pretty guy or pretty girl on a flyer on Instagram. They're silent, period. And I think this is just exacerbating and just showing people, hey, your person has no power when it comes to these things. They're just out here to do their their mass marketing scheme through you. And as a side, the, the, the other sad part about it, especially us who are Pentecostal in nature, most of our churches are in the hood are in impoverished areas, are in areas where the schools are failing. And to your point, we're doing nothing. A lot of them, now there are some, a lot of them are doing nothing to benefit um, those individuals that are in the communities that they that they say that they're called to serve. And I think it's so sad because the Bible, there is no gospel of Jesus Christ without social justice. Not at all. Let's start there. And what I love about Charday Martin, shout out to you, posted on Facebook about Jesus being the original looter when he went and flipped. We always talk about Jesus being angry and flipping the table, but we don't understand that the temple was turned into a marketplace. So it was legit like our storefronts up today. And he went in and looted them for the greater cause of what the temple should have been. And I even posted something on social media, right? As we eased into Pentecost, talking about the moment where they were um, confusing those who were waiting on the Holy Ghost to come as those who were drunk. And the, the thrust that I that I pulled out of there was that there was always a mislabeling of people when there's a certain sound that's produced. Yeah. And I think we are hearing a sound of change and justice flowing and what they're trying to mislabel us as ignorant, as mere fools. But social justice has a sound. Okay. And when the that's winds out. of change get the, bl- change get the blowing, it is producing a sound in the earth that's saying, hey, we're, we're not staying here anymore. So I want to offer that same justification that the apostles offered the people who confused them as drunkards. Like, no, these are not just fools or drunkards, as you suppose. These are people who are fed up. They're tired of being in the upper room of racism. They're tired of being in the upper room of incivility. We are ready. Uh, it is way past time to break out yeah. and to really advocate and to push for what should have been ours eons ago. And you know what? I, I think. You make so many 
Are y'all taking notes on this podcast? <laughs> You're getting like free <laughs> seminary education right now. I think one of the things that you said so eloquently um, in referring back to Sade's post and your post, yes, social justice and activism has a distinct sound. And the thing that I love, if we equate it to a, a dog whistle, only people mm-hmm. at a certain frequency can hear it. And yeah. the problem is, is we've got leaders that are not at the frequency that they need to be, and they can't hear it. So what they see as just like an irritating noise to those that are skilled and attuned, they know what this time is. And it is literally a changing of the guards. The other thing that I like when Jesus looted the temple, he already had the people in the temple bothered a little bit by his mm-hmm. teachings. But when he flipped those tables over and stopped it from being a marketplace to reestablish it as a place of prayer, as a house of justice, as a place of bread, what he did at that moment was not only uh, deal with the religious, but he also deal with the political at the same time. And that's what we're seeing happening now with this thing with George Floyd. It is not just us addressing what's happening outside of the church with the police, but it's really forcing a lot of us church babies to turn back and say, you know what? I got to hold y'all ninjas here within the church accountable too, because you've allowed a lot of stuff to go on on your watch. And we haven't checked you the way that you need to be checked. And both of those things are happening. Yes, absolutely. So let's 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 go a little bit deeper into that. We talked about the the civil rights movements and some of the the leaders in that era. How do you think the generation after us will see this moment? Will it liken unto how we see the civil rights movement? I think that's yet to be said and yet mm-hmm. to be seen. I think um your question is the question that everybody that's working right now or protesting should be asking themselves. How do I want this moment to be defined? How do I want it mm-hmm. to be marked? I think this is a generational opportunity and the next coming weeks are going to be definitive in whether this was just another incident of rioting um, like Rodney King. Um, that did yep. not have long lasting change or this was the turning point for our nation. And I honestly believe that this can be the turning point for our nation to say, you know what, this was the third and final step within the civil rights movement. Got you. So so what do you see as the key like strategic thrust of this movement? Um, For one, I know me and you talked offline privately about this being, you know, I see racism as a public health issue. Um, but beyond the public health of it all, like what are some other strategic thrusts that we are we're fighting for? I think uh, racism, to your point, is not just a public health issue. I think it's an economic issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's an educational issue and Absolutely. it's definitely a political issue. And I think the next steps is to take each one of those pillars and have individuals. You can't focus on it all as one single person, but having a collective group of people start to say economically, how can we keep our dollars within our community, like some of our Jewish brothers and sisters, or what can we do from an educational standpoint to demand Mm -hmm. educational equality? Because what we got was integration. We never got the equity that we were asking for. Um, And then the other thing that we have to do is really, really start to push. I mean, I need everybody to have an Annalise Keating type of anointing and really start to push (laughs) from a political standpoint that that these laws are changed and that the individuals that represent us, especially those that are underrepresented by public defenders, et cetera, that we're not getting the book thrown at individuals for minor crimes and offenses and other groups of people are getting slaps on the wrist. Absolutely. Like racism is not one dimensional and it is so complex and complicated that you're right. We can't look at it from one. It's impossible to look at it from one angle. I'm going to ask this question while we're going into um, our final kind of level of conversation about next steps and what we're going to do. Um, what is some things that we can tell our white, our, our white folks and, um, and other non-black POCs? And because of an, an altercation that I'm going to remain offline that I had today with um, an African-American um, woman, um, people, our black folk who are out the Candace Owens of them all, who are <laughs> who are the all you know all still 
<laughs> who are still all lives mattering us. Like, what are some of the things that they could be doing or how can they be more educated about what's going on? Black folks and non-black persons of color, the best weapon that they have is their history. I mean, pick up a book and read. There is no way that you really can read and really get real information and stay at the point that you are of ignorance. I mean, yeah. if you do, that's a public health crisis in and of itself, and we need to have a It's willful ignorance episode. at that moment. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so I think that's what they can do. I think for individuals that are white and want to be allies or Asian that want to be allies or whoever, um, I think that you first have to come to grips with whatever state of, of complicity that you've been in mm -hmm. um, and really deal with yourself to say, you know what? I need to repent that I've been complicit in my privilege and have not yeah. used that. Because if you don't have that internal reconciliation, you're not going to be able to help anybody else work through theirs. And I think the other thing that they can do is stop talking, stop typing and listening. Like just, if you would just stop, just at, at this yes. point, stop and take some instructions and humble yourself to take some instruction. That's even to the black skin folk that we have, as you would call them, that do not understand <laughs> what we need them to do. I need yeah. them to stop, look and listen, like <laughs> get some education about yourself. And then also white folks have to stop asking black people that are already dealing with pain to teach them how to deal with their own victimization, but then also teach me how to, how to school you and how to handle us. No, you need to read. You need to learn. There are resources, have a dialogue, have a conversation, but do not put the onus on black people to teach you about yes. what you need to do. Like I, I'm sick of that in and of itself. I, what else do you want me to do? There are plenty of white people that can teach you how to deal with black people. And I'm tired of black folks having to teach white folks how to deal with us. That ain't going to work either. It's not going to work. And it's so many things you brought out about <laughs> that self-victimization. Had a friend today text me and say that um, he had a white coworker to offer to give him Uber Eats and Postmates because she was just she felt so bad. Oh. And the joking side of me is said, oh, she going to get these hot wings with lemon pepper sprinkles fried hard. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get I'm going to get this meal from Karen. <laughs> but the other side of me was like, you know, I don't need that. To your point, stop it. You know what I'm saying? Take some notes, go learn something. And even beyond you being an ally, I heard one of my favorite um, authors, Lovey Ajayi, say that we need more. Yeah, we need more accomplices because an ally will get on. Listen, when I tell you that she blessed me with that, she said an ally will, will make the post, will, you know, say, I'm so sorry, all these kind of things and, and verbally speak out, you know, and use their privilege to speak out, which is great. But an accomplice will be on the front line with you. An accomplice will yeah. take note and dictation and say, this is how, okay, this is how Josh and Yolanda feels. Got it. Let me take my privilege and use everything I have to disrupt systems on your behalf. They're working with us, not just behind their keyboard, blacking out their screens too. I mean, that's cool and that's cute, but we need less allies and more accomplices. And I I think that's what's going to help. Not necessarily that, you know what I'm saying? We're depending on you to be the white savior. But if you want to use your privilege and you want to do something, that's where we need you to be. Working. Yeah, that is that is a sum and modem of, of what white people can do. Yes. Take your happy hips to the same places you've been going to and demand that your pastors, because we talked about white evangelicals. Not yes. Here, demand that your pastors have these conversations. When you go to the school board meetings and you see them redistricting, I need you to speak up and say, why are you doing this? I mean, again, all of that. I love it. They have to be accomplices and come alongside us and do the work and the work. I wish I could just turn the volume up on this through the roof. The work is not on social media. The marketing for the work is on social media. Yes. Galvanizing is on social media, but that's even to black and non-black persons of colors. If you think that the revolution is through Facebook and Instagram, you've already missed it because the real work is outside of social media and you got to start there. Absolutely. And we and we need social media to pass along info, like you said, to galvanize, to get us together. But that is not the end. And if and, and here's the other piece that I'm going to throw out there. If that's where you feel comfortable, great, because we need you. But also don't condemn us. Right. For taking 
the extra step and going the extra mile because we need everybody in every space to be able to do something. And going right on back to Chad, Karen, Becky, and Matt, stop telling me that you don't see color, that you're colorblind. And I love y'all because when you say that, you're saying that you don't see Joshua because I am black as all get out. And when you don't acknowledge my blackness, you don't acknowledge my existence. There is no way that you can respect me as a human and say I don't see color because me being black and every experience that I have with that is a part of who I am and how I exist and how I present. So you're insulting me, bruh, right? Every time you do not say it. And it's so... I got laid off at the beginning of this pandemic and we had a, we had a secret black um, group me. Don't kill me y'all um, <laughs> black group me. And they were reporting back in it today and it is a minority led company. Um, but this gentleman is whitewashed, like whitewashed. And from what I understand, he had a very difficult time expressing himself um, about the conversation and kind of passed the book to some of the white the VPs and they begin to use some of their language that I don't see color and I don't teach my, my, my children to see color. And one for, I understand these are very reputable sources. One, um, Caucasian gentleman got on there and jokingly said, Oh yeah, B and D is so diverse. That's why I love it. You know, I joined here to get more black friends. I'm done. I told, I said, stop telling me what happened in that meeting. Cause I am triggered. I'm trying to celebrate my son's birthday. I'm about to be triggered <laughs> right now. I, I don't have it in me. <laughs> I don't have it in me. And I think it's those people. It's it's almost like how Joe Biden, Joe Biden felt so comfortable saying what he said because he had one too many plates of potato salad at the picnic. Definitely. And now he feels comfortable. And just like that former, well, my former CEO, he's allowed these people around him to be so comfortable that they are okay saying all of this stuff. As if it's supposed to be a joke and we're supposed to laugh it off, but it's it's not okay. And we are pissed. We are tired. We are exhausted. And I'm just real. I'm, I'm real sick of it. I think you said that when you don't see my blackness, you're denying my existence. Not only are they denying your existence when they say that bull crap, because that's what it is about. I don't yeah. see color. That is their cop out because when they say that they don't yes. see color, it gives them an out to say, I also don't see the systems that oppress you and that also give me privilege. And that's the reason why particularly white people, they love to say, I don't see color because the moment that they see color, they have to deal with their cognitive dissonance that they have had the upper hand just for the pure fact that they're white and they don't want to acknowledge that. And it ticks me all the way off. But another thing that ticks me off, speaking of whoever this boss is, sir, we're praying for you. Come out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Listen. Jesus, man. <laughs> I saw, and I'll leave the company out because your podcast is going to grow by leaps and bounds, but I saw someone who is a very rare person of color in the financial world. He's tied to a huge organization. And he's so silent and he seems like a very sweet individual, but it was like, you didn't say anything until they propped you up. They being white people propped you up to come out and be the black face to come and scold people about their behavior and tearing up stuff. And it's like, I need you to have that same type of energy, bruh when we're hurting and we're dying. And so yeah. we got to stop that. That's now that's a family meeting issue. We need black people to stop being the face of white folk that want to go out and say, make sure you act good for mastering them because they don't want you to do that. Like you, you got to stop that too. If you cannot say anything and you're not comfortable to speak about our justice, don't come out and scold us. And I think that's the biggest opportunity that the generation before us can have is to repent that they've been silent for so long. And now they're speaking out to scold a generation that is trying to operate in a space that they gave us no guidance for. And that's my parents' generation. Because after King died, they disappeared off the scene. All they did was smoke weeds, snort crack and cocaine. And then they, they went to Studio 54 in a dancery and had a good time. And then they dropped off the scene. And so that's the reason why we got such a big gap. But it's a lot, Josh. It's just a lot. 
listen, I know. And I could I got I got stories and examples for days. Um but but we don't have the time. Um <laughs> and neither do I really have the mental capacity to keep going down that picture because I'm just gonna get real, real, real angry. Um but <laughs> but as as we conclude, what are what are some things that you're working on? What are you doing? What are some next steps that all of us, how can we join you? Yeah, so Please stay tuned. Um, I can't fully disclose all of it right this moment, but there'll be opportunities. Um, I know that you're a part of it, sir, and just some other group of friends of mine, just getting together some individuals that want to move beyond this moment to make sure that Mm -hmm. there's lasting action. Um, So stay on the lookout for that. Specifically, uh, through my business, the 2080 experience, I'm committed from the economic standpoint to make sure that we've got job equality. Um, I know that there are entrepreneurial pursuits that a lot of people have, which is great. We need that within our community, but we also need the right access to career opportunities. And so trying to provide education in that space so that you can advance because we need more people that look like us in yeah. those corporate settings that aren't whitewashed so that we can make sure that the policies within the workplaces are advantageous for individuals of color. So that's what I'm doing through my business, the 2080 experience. We're going to have to bring you back to the virtual living room to talk about navigating corporate America as a black person. Listen, and my whole questions 101, <laughs> <the> whole book. <laughs> and this whole concept of corporate trauma, because um, that same CEO um, that I was speaking of is is black, and he and his worst track record in development was among other black men. Wow! They had the shortest amount of retention and the least amount of promotion within the organization that he led. Some people um, like being the only. It makes them oh, glorified when they're. Oh, the- listen. Listen, I mean, it's a whole thing, but we're going to come back to the living room for that. Um, Let the people know how they can follow you and find you and keep up with you. Yeah. So on Instagram, it's Yolanda J on Facebook. Um, It's Yolanda Johnson. And then you can also find me at the 2080 experience dot com. So that's all of my social media stuff. I'll be somewhere yelling and clapping as I scream to the people. And I won't be too far away from it all. Thank you, Yolanda, again (laughs) for joining me in the virtual living room. Y'all, we're going to head into our next segment, which is so, so, so necessary. Um, Black man, black woman, self-care. Let's get into it. All right. So welcome to uh, I Am My Brother's Keeper. But today we are making history. Not only do we have the first woman, but she's the first black woman on the jigsaw <laughs> to be a part of the podcast. So the segment name has to change to I am my brother and sister's keeper. Um, as you all know, you know, it's, it's just a play. It's just a play on scripture, y'all. Um, but, we're you know, we talk about black self-care. So, Yolanda, tell us what you're doing this weekend to implement self-care. So I'm letting the dangerous Josh Rogers take me through another workout this weekend to try to shed these pounds <laughs> <laughs> that Corona has put on me. And then after he tortures my physical body, I'm going to take a nice long bath with lavender Epsom salt because I'm sure I'm going to need it for my achy muscles. <laughs> and you deserve, you deserve. I <laughs> That is hilarious because what y'all don't know so for y'all who don't know, I lead a cardio, full body cardio class. Every Saturday, you can join me on Zoom. It's only $5. Um, <laughs> but when that camera goes off, I pass out right there in the floor. I be done. <laughs> I am done. And I think I said it last week, and I'm going to repeat it. I am going to take charge of my workout routine. I have been literally only preparing for that cardio class. And it has been, number one, it's been making that cardio class really difficult because it's been killing me. <laughs> but two, with just everything that's going on, I just haven't had the energy to work out like I like I need to, number, number one. But also, it is a form of self-care for me. It gets out the aggression. Yeah. So I don't take it out on my children, on my wife. And, you know, snap, she, why'd you get attitude? Um, and I'm like, you know, nothing against you. I'm just a little angry. And But that helps me. And I'm going to actively take control of that and regain control of that regimen. Um, so, yeah, join us. I can't wait to see you <laughs> doing Ride Out. And then make sure you soak in um, and stretch real, real good because you probably yeah. really are going to need it. Um, again, thank you for joining me for the conversation. Can't wait to have you again. Let's go to our last and final segment, y'all. A greater conversation. Let me talk.
<sighs> I just had to start it off with a deep sigh because, <sighs> yeah. So Shamik Moore, let's just go straight into the conversation. Shamik Moore, if you do not know who he is, he was in the popular um, Netflix series, The Get Down. He was also a part of the best Spider-Man that ever came out, the black Spider-Man with, as Miles Monroe. And he came out in a series of tweets not too long ago saying how black folk can do more to avoid the moments like we saw with George Floyd being killed. Sir, do you know that this particular almost all lives matter rhetoric that you're throwing out here is dangerous and egregious at best. And the greater conversation of it all, that's the name of this segment if you're new to the podcast on this here second episode. The greater conversation of it all is that there are individuals like you who think that if we respond a certain way or we do a certain thing, that means that we won't end up on the ground. That means that we won't end up getting choked out. That means that we won't end up being killed and no longer able to see our children and our families ever again. If you saw the video with George Floyd, then you understand that he was complicit and he was compliant to the request of those officers. And yet and still, he was killed. And if you also understood anything about the moment, you would understand that the original autopsy wanted to suggest that he did not die from being choked, but he died because of existing health conditions. But I want to remind you and bring it to your attention, Shamik, that he may have had preconditions and pre, um, other health conditions that may be contributed to his death. But if he was not choked out, then none of those things would have been a factor that led to his actual death. They, his family had to get an independent autopsy report just to prove that this was a murder. And you had the the gall, the black balls to get on your platform of influence and say that we need to um, act better and 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 like do this jigaboo dance for the master and then that way we won't end up in the seats that we find ourselves sitting in. Man, get out of here. Then you had the nerve to offer this piss poor apology saying that your tweets were being taken out of context. Man, we can read. Many of us are very degreed and, and well learned and educated and we knew exactly what you were trying to say. What you were trying to say is that if black folk dance the right dance, then we will not end up in these situations. But what you are dismissing are the years of systematic racism and oppression and disin and you know and, and and prejudices that have come against us that would that no matter how well we act, no matter how articulate we are, no matter how educated we are, no matter what we do, we can still end up being the victim of senseless murders and and discrimination, not just from police but just other common white folk. Do you not know what happened? I talked about it last week. Do you not know what happened in Central Park with Amy Cooper? The a, a black man was bird watching and simply asked this woman to. Follow the rules and put a freaking leash on her dog. And she went so far to create a fake narrative about her being attacked and harassed and call the police. And in that moment, bro, she knew exactly what she was doing because she said, I'm going to call the police and tell them that a big black man is in the park and he's harassing me and my dog. And when she got on the phone, she gave us the lamest elementary drama club performance that we could ever hear and witness. That is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. This this man did nothing. He was minding his black business in the park, bird watching. And all he did was have the audacity to ask this woman to follow the rules so they won't mess with the darn birds. And she, in turn, because of her privilege, got offended and pretty much put a bounty on this man. Said, I've already talked about it, but I said that to say that it does not matter how we act in certain moments. These type of things can still happen to us because there are people who hate us just because we are black. So when you use your influence and your celebrity and your platform to say things like this, my friend, you are trash. And the greater conversation of it all is who harmed you? Who hurt you? Who has you pulled up by your draw straps that you're unable to stand up for your race and be in solidarity with the people who look like you. And that brings me to my final piece of dragging in this greater conversation for all my skin folk who are not my kin folk. If you don't have anything great to say about what's happening right now, shut your black mouths, especially you who are saying I'm with the all lives matter movement. How dare you? The Candace Owens of it all. We don't want to hear that right now because I should not have to explain to you black person why you should be offended as a black person. You're black. You're black. You're black. 
And in case you forgot it, you're black again. That's why every person of color, especially black folk, all skin folk ain't not kin folk. We talking about disinviting other people to the to the cookout. There's some black folk we need to kick out of the cookout. Okay? We shouldn't have to explain to you. And if you and if you feel a certain way, have those conversations in private. Process that with another friend. Process that with somebody who can help hold you accountable to what you're saying and the rhetoric that you're spitting out because it is not okay. And to my non-black people of color, you who are um, toying this line of being on our side and being, you know, on the all lives matter type of movement. Just p- pick a side. Choose you this day. Don't be be hard or cold. Don't be lukewarm because we don't need that over here. Because what really happens as much as other non-black people of color experience discrimination in America specifically, your experience is still very different than us as black people in America. It is still very different. All right. And until you understand that little nuance, because you can hide behind the generalized terms of people of color, until you understand that nuance, then you will never be able to truly advocate and be an ally or an accomplice, as we talked about earlier, to the causes that we are fighting for. Check your privilege at the door as well, because there is a certain level of privilege of being a person of color and still not being black. Okay, check that at the door as well, because we ain't got time for it. And one more thing, while I am here and I got the mic, it's my podcast. I have seen an uptick in trans people being assaulted and it's and it's always happened and it really doesn't make the news. Feel what you feel about the LGBTQIA community, whatever. That's your business. That's your soul salvation. That's for you to work out. But these people are still just that people and human beings. And it does not matter who they love or how they present in the world. They deserve to be treated with respect and they deserve to live as well. And all of us black folk as a collective will not be free until all of our brothers and sisters, LGBTQIA and all the other alphabets that follow. I don't want to miss any. None of us are collectively free until all of us are free, no matter how we present in the world. So let's kill this narrative too. Just because a trans person is trans and they are out there advocating and protesting, guess what happens? Their skin is still black. So there are still issues that they have to deal with. They have to overcome too. It does not matter what your theology or your faith or your convictions or whatever else in your mind is telling you about these people. At the end of the day, that is a human being and they deserve to be respected. They deserve to live life. And any time that you disregard their life because you disagree with their lifestyle is trash as well. We need to stand in solidarity as black folk. And that means all of us, straight, gay, bi, whatever, married, single, all of us need to stand together to make a change. Because all of us can be affected at any moment and they are not going to care who you love or who you've been with. They're going to care about the color of your skin. Okay. Okay. That is the battle that we're fighting as a collective and everybody else in these different groups, these different cohorts of minorities and nuances, they're fighting their own battles. But right now us as a black community, we're collective. So let's kill the nonsense. Let's be a collective and let's keep fighting the fight. All right. That's the end of the show. Um, Cause I don't want to, I don't want to keep being angry, but I just wanted to put that out there. We get nowhere separated, y'all. All All right. So um, (laughs) by way of announcements, um, I have some things that um, are going on. I lead this fitness group called The J Work. And every single Saturday, um, Yolanda talked about it. Thank you, Yolanda, for the shout out. Every single Saturday via Zoom, I leave this full body cardio class. It's pretty intense, but it's pretty great. So you can go to my website at IamJoshRogers.com, click the shop button, and then click um, Shop Fitness, and you'll be able to sign up and register. It's only five bucks, um, and it's about 50 minutes or so. You're going to get a recorded playback, so you can do it throughout the week. Um, I don't want to give a shout out to one of my friends, my Morehouse brother, Gary Clark. If you heard the intro song, the full version of the song last week, and just, you know, the snippet of the intro coming 
tuning into this week's episode. It was produced and sang and written and edited by him. And I really am grateful for him taking my vision and my words and putting it to paper and to music and really giving a sound to this thing called the jigsaw. So I'm going to play the whole version again as we sign off. Um, and I just want to really shout him out and thank him for that. Um, it's been an amazing part. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback. People love the whole trap soul of it all. Amen. So continue to be safe out there, y'all. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Josh Rogers. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at the Jigsaw Podcast. You can contact us, send in some letters, send in questions, send in comments at the Jigsaw Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Don't let life stress y'all out. At least, at least try not to let life stress y'all out, but do what you can while you can the best way that you can. But here's the thing. Don't you ever get caught with your work undone. Y'all be great out there.